0: Good. I'd love now to, to read for you the, from this morning's uh, scripture passage. We're going through the book of, the book of Proverbs, and uh, our reading comes from Proverbs 15 and from Proverbs 12. If you have a Bible, I'd love for you to turn there. If you don't have a Bible, we have them available on the little round tables on your way out. Please pick one up. We'd love for you to have a Bible. Would you stand with me now for the reading of God's Word? Again, Proverbs 15, 22 and 12, 15. Without counsel, plans fail. But with many advisors, they succeed. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. (laughs) Appreciate it. Thanks, Jonathan. Uh, Good to see you all. Uh, For those of you who don't know me, my name is... uh... Reed Kappel. I serve as the campus pastor here, and it is a joy to be with you. Um, whether you're, you're new to Christ community, you've been here for a while, uh, it is a joy to gather with you uh, to open God's Word together. And so uh, we're journeying through the book of Proverbs, but, but before we jump into some of the texts that, that Jonathan read for us, I want you to to think of a time in your life, uh, like in your life, okay? Not, not like your mom's life or your boyfriend's life your teacher's life or your boss's life, uh, but when you were just utterly wrong. When you knew that your decision, your opinion, your perspective, your action was just dead wrong, okay? So again, don't, don't think about anybody else. Don't think about your pastor, because that doesn't happen, right? Uh, they're never wrong. No, but I want you to think about a time when you, you knew you were wrong, and you still dug your heels in. And, and you refused to admit and recognize that you were in the wrong, either in your opinion, your perspective, or in your actions, And and, and there's so many instances, and if if that describes you, would you stand up, please, really quick? No, just kidding, just kidding, you don't have to do that. Some (laughs) of you are like elbowing somebody next to you. But but, but truly, I mean, there are a lot of instances I can think of, but the the quintessential moment in my life was when I was in middle school And I think I've shared this story in some fashion, but I got into several altercations with other classmates of mine uh, in middle school, and most of the fights I got into were because I was defending my, my little brother. He would get picked on, and I would beat up these kids because that was my job. I pick on my brother. You don't. I do that, you know. I'm on the school bus, and this kid was making fun of my brother, and I chased him off the bus, and I am screaming at him, I'm running, chasing him into the house. We live in a townhome, he's my next door neighbor, so we share like a building, and I am like throwing every word I can possibly think of, you know, words that you don't hear in Disney movies, okay? And, and, I, and he gets into his house, and I'm punching, kicking the door, screaming as loud as I can, and I look over, and my brother Ryan, 10 years older than me, has been come home to surprise us from college, and he's waiting to greet us off the school bus, and he sees me like... <laughs> like coming off the school bus and and he looks at me and he takes me inside he puts me in the bathroom locks the door and he's trying to talk some sense into me and I remember him saying very clearly he said it is not your it is not Tony's fault that you're angry you control your emotions it was not Tony's fault that he made you angry and I knew like as he said that I knew he was right I knew that I controlled my emotions. Yes, Tony maybe provoked me, but I control my emotions. But rather than saying, brother Ryan, thank you for this wisdom, I am now on a path of, of fruitfulness now. I refuse, I dug my heels in, and I did not invite in and allow the voice of my brother to speak words of wisdom to me. And, and this, was, this was really difficult, and it was probably multiple years later when I actually could tell Ryan, I refuse your wisdom. You were speaking truth to me, and I didn't invite you in. And I share this story because I think some of us can identify with that moment, either as the recipient of it or, or, or on the other side. But I, I want us to think about, as we, as we journey on through Proverbs in our series, Restart Smart, I want us to think about how we cultivate wisdom by surrounding ourselves with the right kind of people. And, and part of what that means is being willing and able to hear the words of wisdom from those that have gone before us. And so this morning, as, as we kind of jump around in Proverbs, I, I want us to look at one idea that we'll unpack in a few ways, and that idea is this, is that you are only as wise as those you let in. You and I, we are only as wise as those that we let in. And, and before we turn uh, to the book of Proverbs, I want to pray for our time and ask the Lord to bless the teaching of His Word. So let's, let's pray together. Father in heaven, Lord, we do, we come to you because we need wisdom. Lord, your your word even says, Lord, for those who are in need of wisdom, that that we should come to you and ask for it. So Lord, in this time, in our foolishness, in our stubbornness, in our pride, would you humble us and would you give us the words of wisdom from your word that we might seek to live in light within, within your good design boundaries that are for our good. Lord, would you do this for our good and for your glory? We pray in Christ's name. Amen. So Proverbs, uh, one thing I'm gonna mention, um, the, the remaining messages in our series are going to feel a little different. Just be, uh, they're gonna feel a little bit more thematic because that's really the, how the, the rest of the book of Proverbs is set up. You know, the, the first you know, nine chapters, as we mentioned, are about 10, ten speeches uh, from Solomon to his son. But then chapters 10 through 31 is just kind of this amalgamation of, of, of random words of wisdom. And so it may feel thematic, but that's because that's how the book of Proverbs is set up. And so we'll be doing a, a lot of jumping around. So get your thumbs, you know, ready, whether you have a paper Bible or, or digital Bible. But we will be anchoring in the text, but it's going to feel like we're jumping around a bit. So I just want to kind of give you that, that heads up. But, but I want us to look at this idea of cultivating wisdom... By placing wise people in our lives, and I want to do that by looking at three questions from the, uh, the various uh, Proverbs we'll be looking at. And the first question is this, is do you let wise p- people in? Do you let wise people in? Now, part of this question is, is really a, about letting people in to begin with in our lives. And, and this is something that we intuitively know. I think we know that we, we need relationships, that we were created even for relationships. There's something about that. Whether you believe in God or not, I think we know that there's something about our being wired for community and relationships. And yet, while we know it intuitively, we also don't functionally live that wisdom out. Increasingly so in our day, we live lives of, of isolation, of insulation, and of independence that has created this, this serious issue of loneliness, particularly in the Western world. In fact, uh, the, the former U.S. Surgeon General, Vivek Murthy, he went on record in declaring that, that there is an epidemic of loneliness in our, in our country, in our culture in particular, and it is contributing towards a wide range of health problems. In fact, there's a lot of medical research that has come out to show that because of our isolation and insulation and independence, there has been this amazing connection between social isolation and and being more dangerous and killing more people than obesity. And and so this is a reality that while we we know intuitively, yes, we need relationships, we also find ourselves not functionally living into this wisdom in our day-to-day lives. Additionally, if you add to that, I mean, the the tragic trend of of teenage suicide on the rise in recent years, I mean, we can see that this is not just a matter of wisdom and advice, but truly a matter of life and death. So there's no denying the severity of loneliness in our day. But what's so interesting is that in our, in our, our culture that is more connected than any generation in history, technologically speaking, we are also the most isolated and loneliest culture in human history. We've exchanged friendships for Facebook. We've exchanged memories for memes. We've exchanged community for comfort. We've exchanged dinner tables with drive-throughs. And we find ourselves more and more in a place of loneliness. We're more miserable than we ever have been. Which is all the more reason for us to heed the timeless words from the book of Proverbs that speaks to this reality that we need one another and Solomon addresses this in various ways, but in particular, this is kind of what he's driving at in chapter 15, verse 22, where Solomon says, without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. And, and because w- w- when it comes to deciding how to navigate life, how to live life to the fullest, to seek the good life, whatever that is, we have to recognize we need one another, We need one another in relationships, absolutely, but we also need one another because we can't figure this out on our own. We weren't designed to. When it comes to making major decisions in our lives, my voice should not be the only voice that I'm listening to. My my perspectives and interests should not be the only perspectives and interests that I'm considering. My opinions should not be the only opinions that I'm weighing everything against. If we want to grow in, we've kind of defined wisdom as the skillful art of living in God's world. If we want to grow in wisdom, then we need to let people into our lives. And and yes, that means having relationships for sure, but also having relationships where we are inviting the voices of others to speak into our lives. And so a question for us as we think about this idea of cultivating wisdom by surrounding ourselves with wise people, the question for us is this, is are you inviting wise people into your life to speak into your life? And and are they advising you actually in a direction that keeps you within God's good design boundaries? You see, we we believe that, that wisdom is lived within God's design boundaries, not because it's what's right, it's what God has said, but also because it is what is for our good. And so it's not just enough to have people speak into our lives, we have to have the right people speaking into our lives. Who have you given that privilege to? So, so think about the context of your primary place of influence. That may be your job, that may be your home, that may be school, that may be a certain community that you're a, a part of. I want you to think in that context and ask, who is someone in your line of work, in your community, in your school, that you can go to? Someone who has a few more birthdays than you, perhaps, that you can go to and, and seek wisdom from? Who is someone that that has journeyed the road that you're on and can point out the potholes that you're about to um, come across? Now, it doesn't mean just because someone is older, it means that they're automatically wise, but I would say that time is an incredible forger of wisdom. Time is an incredible forger of wisdom. And are we willing to heed the words of Solomon when he says that we should seek multiple... Advisors, that we should pursue the counsel of multiple voices if we want our plans and our life to succeed. And if you're someone who does have the, the the privilege and the benefit of having a lot of birthdays under your belt, so to speak, are you willing to share your wisdom and experiences with others? Or is there even sometimes this kind of false humility of like, well, what do I have to offer? I mean, I I'm not really that wise and experienced. But what I would say is that positions you perfectly to be a person of wisdom in someone else's life. Can you use your resources as an experienced person, as a person whose journey through life, has experienced a lot of hurt and pain, and speak into those who are coming up after you? And one of the things I'm a firm believer in is that th- this will also make you wise, increasingly so. You see, because wisdom grows in our lives, not just when we seek it, but also when we share it. And so we need to find out who are the people that I can pursue but also, who are the people that I can impart wisdom towards? Now, think about it in the context of our church. I, I think this is one of the reasons, I mean, are we inviting wise people into our lives in this community? This is partly why we have such a high value of community groups. We, we see that the need of having environments where there's the opportunity for mutual wisdom to be shared, for refinement. And so, so if you're in a community group, I encourage you to invest in that community group. And to allow those to invest in you, not just so that we have a relationship with people, and not just so that we have people to rely on when when life gets difficult, although that's absolutely true, but do we see these relationships as a place where we are being formed in mutual wisdom together? But this is also why I think Sunday morning worship is important, Why a consistent habit of gathering Sunday after Sunday with God's people is so crucial, not because it's something Christians must do, and it's what good people do, but because we are intentionally putting ourselves in an environment where we're being shaped by one another. I'm not saying that I think our church is comprised of the wisest people in the world, but what I can say is I think we are a community that desires to seek wisdom together, And so the more and more we commit ourselves to to gathering in a local church community, serving, attending, knowing, and being known, I believe, is one of the ways in which we live out the wisdom that we see in the book of Proverbs. But let me offer one last tangible action for us. I, I want us all to think about, and maybe you write it down, but I want you to think about one area in your life where you know you're just you you're getting a solid D minus. You know, it may be in terms of finances, it may be in terms of relationships, uh, it may be in terms of, of sexuality, whatever it is. I want you to think of this area in your life where you just struggle. Can you name two to three people that you know, that you trust, that you can go to and seek their wisdom and input? Who are those people in your life? Can you identify that area and then identify two to three people that you can go after? And call them up, invite them over for coffee, I mean, and put them into a place where you can share with them. And you, you can't all put my name on that list, okay, that's not fair, all right? Some of you are like, don't worry, Reed, uh, we won't put you on the list of wise people to consult. Uh, but truly, but if we want to grow in wisdom, we have to be willing to let wise people in. But conversely, we must also see that we have to keep foolish people out. And this one's a little trickier. Now, I, I try not to use too many sports metaphors, um, but, but I think this is helpful. Seeing wisdom in, like football. Wisdom is like football in the sense that there are absolutely offensive strategies, but there are also defensive strategies. And that you have to employ both if you want to be an effective team. And so as we think about wisdom in terms of, yes, pursuing wise people, letting them in, we must also see that part of being wise is defending ourselves against foolish people. And this is what Solomon is getting out of Proverbs 22, verses 24 through 25, where he says, "'Make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor go with a wrathful man, lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare.'" Now, this is tricky, because I don't think what Solomon is saying is, "'Don't ever relate to fools ever again.'" If that were the case, there'd be no hope for us fools, right? Like, so we need some help. So I don't think Solomon is saying, have nothing to do with fools. But rather what he's saying is, don't allow fools to occupy the seat of influence in your life. It's not to say never talk to a fool, never have a relationship with a fool, because, I mean, Jesus didn't abide by those words. He spent a lot of time with fools, what, what Solomon, I believe, is saying is that we shouldn't allow the seat of influence in our lives to be occupied by fools. When, when I was in high school, I remember vividly uh, driving with my friend Joe, I was a senior in high school, um, and we're driving down a country road, and, he, and Joe goes, hey, I've got a great idea. And I was like, what's that, Joe? He said, you should climb out of your car and climb out the top of your roof and then get into the passenger seat, and then I'll take your driver's seat while the car's moving. And I said, that's a great idea, Joe, let's do that. And we did. And I so I, like in this moment, I'm okay, I live to tell the story, spoiler alert, I survived. But like in that moment, I literally let Joe occupy a seat of influence in my life and influence me to do something rather stupid. So don't do that at home, no one ever, in any place. Um, but in that instance, I allowed Joe to speak into my life, to have influence over something that, that led me to doing something really stupid. And so the question for us is, are we aware of those fools in our lives? And are we keeping them from from occupying that place? Because the word that Solomon uses, he says, make no friendship with someone given to anger. And that word friendship is actually, it's the same word used to describe a a groomsman or a bridesmaid. And just as you would not choose any, any one of your friends to be your bridesmaid, you shouldn't just choose any person to occupy the place of influence in your life. And so, so I want to I wanna give some helpful handles here. Because so, it's easy to just say, like, keep fools away. Like, okay, done. You know? like how do we understand that? How do we discern fools? And so let me give us some helpful handles. In keeping fools out, we have to be very careful, though. Because this is a hard decision. Because what this may entail is that it's the removal of someone who's very near and dear to you. Someone who is close to you. And so it'll come with great relational costs. So I don't want to minimize that. And yet... When we choose to remove fools from the seat of influence in our lives, we save ourselves from a lot of regret and pain and heartache. Not to mention, it's probably one of the most loving things we can do to that foolish person in our lives. So how do we discern a fool? The most fundamental description of a fool in the book of Proverbs is that the fool is someone who is wise in their own eyes, that they they no longer see the need for anyone else to speak into their lives. They hold and possess the standard of wisdom and foolishness, which is what Solomon says in chapter 12, verse 15. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Fundamentally, what this means is that a fool is is a person who essentially says, I measure all things based upon my own standard. Or, or another way of saying it is that, is that a fool's life has no footnotes referencing the work or wisdom of other people. It's just all their own work. It's all their own words. I know what is best for me. And so, so I, I, want, I want us to think about, okay, who are these people? Let me, let, let me give a little bit more detail here. What is the profile of a fool? And I'll just share a few of these from the Proverbs very quickly here. But the first thing is this, is the fool is someone who seeks to understand, I'm sorry, seeks to be understood but doesn't seek to understand. And this is a classic adage, I'm sure we've heard this before. but Proverbs 18:2 says that a fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. Do you have someone like that in your life? They don't, they don't want to understand your perspective. They only want to be understood. They only care about sharing their perspective. That's a fool. Secondly, a fool is someone who creates drama and doesn't create dialogue. They create drama instead of dialogue. Proverbs 16, 28 says, a dishonest man spreads strife, and a whisperer separates close friends. This this, this is not to say that a fool is only one who engages conflict. That's not what I think Solomon is saying, but rather, the fool is always stirring up strife, always creating drama, always separating people instead of creating dialogue. Third, a fool attacks people instead of ideas. A fool attacks people instead of ideas. And what I mean by this, what Solomon says in chapter 14, 29, who, uh, I'm sorry, 2019, whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets, therefore do not associate with a simple babbler. You see, a person who is foolish is not simply interested in showing the, the foolishness of your idea, they want to attack you. And, and so they, they kind, of re, re, kind of revert to this ad hominem argumentation of like, well, I can't really attack your, your viewpoints, I'm just going to attack you as a person and that is a fool. A fool is also reactive instead of proactive, that they're just constantly reacting to situations, and, and you see their emotions taking control of them. Proverbs 14, 29 says, whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. A fool is also one who is quick to speak but slow to listen. And there's a lot of overlap and similarity with these foolish profiles here, but, but what Proverbs 21:23 says, that whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. Do you see these fools in your life? I, I was sharing uh, my, my sermon with, um, with my neighbor a few nights ago, and we were just talking and telling him about, about fools, and, uh, and he said this, this was really helpful. He said, you know, I think a fool is also someone who just presents problems, but never suggests solutions. So that's, not, that's just my neighbor, that's not Solomon. So, uh, but, I, but I think that's great, I think that's really good. They're just constantly presenting problems and never suggesting solutions. Now this is not the exhaustive list of a fool, but, but think about these people. Think about these characteristics, and do you find fools like this in your life? Uh, what I would encourage us to do is to do what will, I'll call a fool audit. I, I think we should run our colleagues, our friends, our family members, to, and, and tread lightly there. I think we should run our pastors through that. And I, I don't say that jokingly. Like, If you get any sense that, that me or Nathan or any of us are acting foolishly, it is not just your responsibility, it is your prerogative to call us out. If you see that I display any of these characteristics, call me out. Give me that gift that I might learn from this. But additionally, run, run the podcast that you listen to through this Fool Audit. Run it through this profile. Listen, I mean, all of your radio personalities, the the shows that you watch, the newscasters that you are informed by, the authors that you are influenced by, run them through this profile. And while we're at it, let's run ourselves through it. Let's see if we display these attributes and these characteristics. And let us be willing to repent of them and to turn from this foolishness. So again, we are only as wise as those we let in. And yes, that requires the pursuit of wisdom. And yes, it requires the guarding of foolish people from us. But lastly, we also need to avoid being stupid. We need to avoid being stupid. And, and this is a good question at face value for us to consider. In fact, it's the very advice that changed Dwight Schrute's life. Take a look. What is the most inspiring thing i ever said Don't be an idiot. <laughs> changed my life. Whenever I'm about to do something, would an idiot do that. And if they would, I do not do that thing. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Like, you can stop the sermon right there. Like, and truly, like, if we, knew, if we just listened to that kind of advice, if we just understood the characteristic of a fool. But what I mean by not being stupid is what Solomon gets at at chapter 12, verse 1. He says, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is, say it with me, stupid. Yeah, I just love it. Now, it doesn't mean... Uh, that a person is unintelligent, but rather that they're stubborn. So, I mean, Solomon does not mince words here. He's saying that a person who, who fails to receive correction is stupid, they're stubborn, and they are leading themselves down a path where they will do stupid things. And the remedy to this kind of stupidity and foolishness, yes, requires the presence of wise people, the absence of foolish people, but it also requires the humble posture of being able to invite, not just receive, but invite reproof and correction and rebuke. And that is very, very difficult. Proverbs 9, 8 says this, do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you, but reprove a wise man and he will love you. It's so, there's, there's a world of difference between being willing to receive correction and being able to be the kind of wise person that says, give me correction, for I love it, I need it, I want it. A wise person doesn't just tolerate reproof, they see it as a gift. A difficult gift, but a gift nonetheless. Proverbs twenty-five, twelve says, like a gold ring in an ornament, of go- or I'm sorry, like a gold ring or an ornament of gold is a wise reprover to a listening ear. Now this is, this is incredibly hard to kind of cultivate in our lives, to have this kind of virtue that's not just okay to receive correction, but to go after it. It's difficult because it requires the humility to admit that someone else knows more than you. It requires the self-awareness to see that you have some room to grow, but it also requires a trust to know that what this person is telling you is for your good and that they love you. And that one, and that, that's not always the case, But sometimes it's hard for us to hear these words from wise people in our life because we don't actually trust them. If we are only as wise as those we let in, and if we let in the right kind of people who are living within God's good design boundaries, then we can't just passively let them in, we must actively invite them in, which means inviting the bittersweet gift of correction, of reproof. And so think about that, who in your life can you go to and, and declare what, what, what uh, King David said in Psalm 141. This is, oh, this is good. This is worth the price of admission. Psalm 141 verse 5 says, let a righteous man strike me, for it is a kindness. Let him rebuke me, for it is oil for my head. Let my head not refuse it. I mean, do you see that there? I mean, the wise person is, is once it receives it, I, I, I want this kind of correction. I want to be able to trust that you want what is best for me. I want to be able to have the humble posture to say, I, I don't know everything, and the self-awareness to say, you probably see things that I don't. And so let me say, we need to be wise, though, with whom we invite this gift from. I, I'm not saying that, like, just go around to everybody. Like, everybody right now at 2 o'clock this afternoon, email me. Like, I'm not saying that. We should be wise with whom we uh, allow this gift to be uh, given to us from. Because there are some people who will abuse that. And, and what I would say also, because I, I've used this phrase before, we need to be careful that we, who we give the fine china of our life to. Who, who are we entrusting these things with? And for some of us, we've acted foolishly because we've given the fine china of our life to someone foolish who doesn't want what's best for us. But, but let, me, let me flip it on, on its head here and, and say this, that if you are a person giving that gift, if you find yourself in that position of, of offering a word of correction, rebuke to someone who needs it, you better be utterly sure that your motive for doing so is for their good. You better be utterly sure that that your desire to call them out and to bring this to their attention is not about getting back at them for something they did six months ago, or it's not about trying to elevate your ego over them, but your desire is for their good and their flourishing. If that is not your motive, then you should shut up. And until you're at that place where you can lovingly call someone out, you're not at a place of wisdom, and you don't deserve to give this gift to anyone at this point, point. The gift of correction is only a gift when it is given to remove burdens, not add them. Now, this is still incredibly hard to do. How do we get to this place of of having the humility of of seeing our need for wise people? How can we get to a place where we can endure the cost of saying, saying goodbye to foolish people? And how can we get to the place where we can welcome the gift of correction and reproof? I believe that the ultimate reason why we can be a people who invite wise people in, who who push foolish people out, and who can receive and invite the gift of correction is because this is what we experience in the wise love of Jesus in the gospel. You see, when we come to trust in Jesus, we see that he calls us out and, in no uncertain terms, declares that we are lost, broken, bruised sinners in need of rescue. There is no two ways about that, and yet he lovingly declares over us that in our brokenness he has come that we might find wholeness, that, that in our rebelliousness he has come that we might receive forgiveness, and that in our lostness he has come so that we might be found in him. The truth of the gospel is not Jesus coming in and saying, You're pretty much decent people, let me just clean you up a bit. It is Jesus declaring over us how desperately lost we are, but how amazingly found we can be in Him. And when that is true, when when this reality is what shapes and forms us, when we come to trust in this Messiah, then we are, able to, we are able to receive words of correction and not believe that they're attacks. Why? Because we're confident in who we are in Christ. And so you can say what you want to me, and, and I'll, I'll receive it with wisdom. But as the Apostle Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians 4, he says, look, it's, it's no big thing for you to judge me. I don't even judge myself because of how confident I am in Jesus Christ. When we come to know and trust in Jesus, we're able to receive words of correction and not see them as attack. And conversely, we're able to give words of correction without attacking because we have received such loving words of wisdom that declare the worst news to us, that we are broken sinners. But we also receive the greatest news, that we are loved beyond our imagination. We are only as wise as those that we let in, and if that is true, then, then, then let us invite in the wisest person that has ever lived. Let us invite in the one who personifies wisdom itself. Let us invite Jesus to occupy the ultimate primary seat of influence in our lives. Not just as one more advisor among many, but as our Lord and Savior. As the one who is lovingly and wisely guiding us into the life that is for our good. Who loves us with an overwhelming and never-ending love. May this wise Savior occupy the seat of your heart and mine. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, I, do, I, 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 want, I want to be able to be a person who, is, who can humbly say, Lord, give me correction and invites it from people who are wiser than me. Lord, I ask that that you would do a new work in our minds and hearts today, that you would deepen within us an understanding of the gospel, that we are freed and forgiven. And so the, the worst news has been removed from us, that our identity and our joy and validation is rooted in you so that we are able to receive words of correction, that we might live lives of wisdom for our good and for the good of others as well. So Lord, I ask that you would give us that ability Lord, may we be able to invite wise people in. May you give us wisdom to keep foolish people out and to receive the gift of correction, Lord, because that is what we received in Jesus Christ. Lord, may you change us and form us to walk in your ways give us the ability to have the skillful art of living within your world for our good and for your glory. We pray this in Christ's name, amen.